Okay, welcome back, folks. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. Um, we've been off the air a little while. Um, we're recording on Thursday night at about 9.30, and I've got a great guest for you tonight. We've got Cody Stavenhagen, the Detroit Tigers beat writer for the Athletic Detroit. Cody, how's it going tonight? Hey, good, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yep, thanks a lot for being on. Um, before we get into kind of the news and everything that's going on, like how is, uh, how's the offseason been going for you so far? Did you get some time off? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's it's been fairly slow. I haven't taken any actual like paid time off because, you know, we're in we're in this pandemic and it's like, how am I supposed to go on vacation? There's really nowhere to go. Uh, I, I have spent a lot of time back home down in Texas, which has been nice and I've uh, been able to unwind a little bit, but still been, been doing some reporting on instructs and kind of waiting until this manager hire wraps up to uh to kind of actually take some time off so um yeah still still a good amount going on obviously yep I, i'm told uh through a mutual friend of ours that you've been picking up the guitar and working on this a little bit uh yeah yeah that's that's super true i never played before until last week actually just um i don't know kind of on a whim i've been thinking for a while so i, I went out and got a guitar and and here we are kind of learning the basics so it's been a lot of fun Awesome. Yeah. What, uh, what did you get? Acoustic, I assume? Or? It's, a, it's an acoustic, um, you know, I went with kind of a, a cheaper model. So it's a, it's a Yamaha. I had been leaning toward Fender, but the guy at the store was like, you really don't want the lower end Fenders. And I kind of picked up and held a couple different instruments. And the, this Yamaha I got really, really did seem a little bit better, um, at least in my uh, novice mind. So yeah, I've been enjoying it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Yamaha's always had a better reputation, you know, just because everything is like really precisely milled, like their their cheaper guitars typically just have better quality control. So yeah, that, that sounds like a good uh, good call. I mean, you're from Texas. I mean, you have to be able to sit around a campfire and pick out a song now and again, Cody. I think it's mandatory. <laughs> well, that's good. Did you get down to Instructs at all or just been kind of covering it from afar? Yeah, yeah, I didn't get down there. Just um, right from afar. Tigers have been good enough to uh, set up a few Zoom calls with, with various players and, you know, had a couple other phone calls with, with like Dave Littlefield and some others. So um, it was one of those things didn't quite view it as worth the, the financial investment of um, kind of going down there to watch, you know, instructional league games. And it's not even like you can really do in-person interviews anyway, although it would have been nice to go and just, you know, see how some of these guys look. Um, unfortunately, my, my coverage was limited to uh, <laughs> kind of limited to the, to the couch. That's around, so. Yeah, yeah, in the same boat as all of us. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to be down in Florida, like, yeah, just getting a look at some of these guys, like De La Cruz and such, but um, but not necessary right now. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing because they're all playing mostly games against each other, and you don't have any of the 40-man guys, so you don't don't have Manning or Scooble, some of those guys down there. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's It's been interesting to just kind of get a look at a few guys who I've been thinking about. So, um, all right, well. I've kind of bandied around the bush here, but uh, I mean, let's just cut right to the chase. I mean, it's been a pretty, pretty wild 24 hours. Um, you know, there've been rumors kind of all along that the Chicago White Sox were, you know, they, they had requested permission from the Angels to interview Tony La Russa, um, which in- indicated that they were pretty serious about it. But I still, I certainly didn't actually think this was going to happen. I kind of thought it was like, in the back of my head, I was like, this is a negotiating ploy so that they can keep A.J. Hinch from, you know, soaking him for too much money or something. But hey, they went ahead and did it. Um, were you as surprised as the rest of us yeah totally i mean i thought there was legitimacy just based on how strong the rumors were like i I definitely believed that jerry reinsdorf wanted tony la russa to be his manager 
But I just kept expecting something to come out and, and debunk this idea or that something would happen internally and Rick Hahn would say, I'm going to quit. We can't. LaRusso, <laughs> he's six years old and I know he's your friend. We just, you know, it, it, like, do you really want to win another championship? And if you do, we should probably hire AJ Hinch. And then Reinsdorf would kind of say, uh, well, I guess you're right. You know, I just kind of kept expecting that to happen um kept expecting the larusa thing to just fade away and it never did and in fact it got stronger and in fact uh i think probably sooner than um a lot of people expected you wake up and and tony larusa is managing the chicago white Sox. um it was it was incredibly wild yeah i started getting the vibe for it and so i, I wrote that piece this morning i published which was basically like hey you know our chances of getting aj hinch might be a lot better than you think and kind of mentioned the larusa stuff and you know it was like 10 minutes after i published it it was like huh <laughs> they really went and did it and it's like all right i mean it's um yeah it's odd because yeah not only hasn't he hasn't managed in such a long time obviously he's a legendary manager you know the third most winningest manager in baseball history but you know has always given the the impression of being a very old school guy um, you know, not given to his players, you know, kind of having a say in things, not given to his players being uh, particularly expressive. Um, the whole fit just seems kind of terrible with a Chicago team that, you know, has been, you know, at least part of that team has been pretty strongly, um, you know, or at least vocal about, you know, about their activism and about the Black Lives Matter movement. And then you also have, you know, a lot of guys who are just just naturally like expressive players. Um, a lot of the team, you know, is Latin American. So you've got that mix going on. And LaBruce has kind of managed a ton of personalities over the years, but it just seems like such a weird time, especially with the, the data era that we're in now for someone um, of his age and that far removed from the coaching gig to, to step back in there to a team like that, who's really primed to win. But, um, but thanks Jerry Reinsdorf, I think. <laughs> yeah there i mean there's just so much going on and when you really step back it's kind of weird to think uh you know twitter kind of caters to it's it's like pan tony la Russa day it's like let's all mock one of the best <laughs> managers in mlb history right. uh but you step back you think well it's 2020 um the white Sox just hired a manager to lead this young expressive fun core a guy who has spoke out against players kneeling for the national anthem, who was known as, as somewhat of a small ball or at least a traditional manager um, in his previous stints. And it's just, it's like this weird time warp. Um, and maybe Reinsdorf will look like a genius when, you know, you kind of blend these two eras together, but it's also very easy to see the players not responding to La Russa, La Russa not really responding to the players and this whole thing going south. I don't know. Um, I can tell you, and this is a quote that, that will be in a story that should publish uh, here soon Thursday night. A Tigers official uh, told us at The Athletic, the White Sox did us a big favor. Um, and I don't think that's news to anyone, but to hear someone in the organization actually say it, um, is, is striking. It's kind of funny. I, I also wrote, you could almost imagine, you know, Al Avila and, and the rest of the Tigers front office doing front flips <laughs> in there in, you know, park. whereas I, you know, I'll say this on the podcast doing tequila shots or front flips or maybe both. Um, and sure enough, uh, I knew that they were planning to age to interview AJ Hinch. I initially thought that interview would be Friday, Sure enough, it happened Thursday, and now here we are, and Hinch as the next Tigers manager 
sure looks like it's it's pretty close to inevitable. Yep, yep, it really does. I mean, just a little while ago, we've got Buster Olney, you know, talking about how you know this is this is not a done deal yet, but they're you know they've made progress in finalizing a deal. I mean, that sounds like they're deep in negotiation at this point. And um, so yeah, by the time this podcast um, hits the air on Friday and people are listening to it, this this may have already happened. Uh, maybe it'll take more time, but. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I, I mean, I think with the White Sox out of the way, this just clears the path. Um, I mean, I, you know, I assume the Tigers are thrilled and probably were scrambling for the checkbook as soon as they heard that Larusa was going to um, going to the White Sox. But, um, you know, it's been an interesting just couple days in terms of managers too, because you think about, I mean, the, on the one hand, this feels like such a throwback move, not just because they're hiring Tony Larusa, who's been managing since I think 1979 or that was his first um, first time managing with the Chicago White Sox back in the day. But it's also the kind of move that you don't see as much anymore because it's like a, a throwback owner move, you know, like the, you know, the big tycoon who owns his own team and can kind of do whatever he wants. Um, we had a guy like that here in, in Mike Illich. You know, there's been the George Steinbrenners and Artie Moreno's. Um, Artie Moreno is still around, but it, but it really did feel like um, like a story out of the 90s or something like that where the owner just decided he wanted to go with his guy um, and yeah, I don't, you know, maybe it'll work out for him, but it just, it definitely feels, um, feels like a, a, a gift to the Tigers. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I kind of like it, right? Like it's fun. It's, it's an interesting, tremendous storyline. If I were a White Sox fan, I, I would probably be livid, but, um, you just never know. And I think that's the one reason tonight, you know, <laughs> still kind of tiptoeing around the news, you, you know, between uh, Ken Rosenthal and I, we have it at pretty much 99%. There's probably going to be an announcement Friday uh, that AJ Hinch will be the manager, but based on how all day Thursday went, you just never quite know in this business and things can change at the last minute and uh, they, they could come down to signing on the dotted line. I mean, who knows, but it certainly is a a game-changing break for the Tigers, assuming they get A.J. Hinch. Uh, I know there's an argument that managers don't matter, that they actually don't do that much. And to an extent, that's true. But you look at the White Sox, a lot of people are upset they didn't hire A.J. Hinch. I think for the Tigers, the difference between A.J. Hinch and Freddie Gonzalez or A.J. Hinch and a first-time manager, maybe a a Mark Kotze or a George Lombard or, or whoever you want to throw in there, that's a pretty striking distance. This is a guy who, scandal or not, has won a World Series. He has a deep, well-versed background in player development and evaluation. Um, he has a Stanford psychology degree. He's he's smart. He's personable. He's in, in every way minus the scandal. He's a pretty perfect fit, I think, for what this team needs right now. Um, I think when you, you talk about changing the culture around the Detroit Tigers, there's there's there are a few better ways to do it than to hire – a guy with the credentials and the savvy and the smarts of AJ Hinch. Yep, I agree. And, you know, I mean, we just got a, an interesting example in the World Series. I mean, obviously, you know, Kevin Cash has, has just been taking it on the chin um, ever since, you know, he pulled Blake Snell in the sixth inning of game six and brought in Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson ends up giving up a hit to Mookie, Bit, Mookie Betts, the whole inning unravels, and the Dodgers are your World Series champs. So, you know, those are both really modern organizations, and obviously the Astros were as well, um, and perhaps still are. But, um, you know, when Hinch was there, you know, they, they were kind of the pioneers of that style where the manager isn't the guy who's like the field general and the guy who's in charge of, of most of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, it's much more of a of a sort of diffused, you know, set of responsibilities where there's a lot of decision makers, there's a lot of different 
seemingly autonomous parts to the um, to the the front office running around. You know, in one, you know, we've got guys who are you know participating in sign stealing. You've got other guys who are crunching data and talking to players. You know, kind of on their own. You had a bench coach who apparently was in Alex Cora, who was apparently intimately involved in the sign stealing scheme, um, far more so than AJ Hinch. Um, the Tigers are not an organization like that. And one of the things I thought to myself this morning was that th- this might be a, a, an attractive job, particularly because, one, it's a little bit under the radar right now because the Tigers are still very bad um, and still, you know, a couple years away from, from being any kind of a real threat. But it's also kind of a, a more of an old school organization where you would assume that there's going to be much more of a strict top down hierarchy you know, AJ Hinch is going to be able to, you know, hire the guys he wants as coaches. Um, he's going to be in charge of what goes on. Um, any shenanigans like that, he would have much more power to, you know, to intervene with um, without, you know, it being like him versus the front office in some way. So in all those different ways, it feels, you know, like this is a slightly more old school organization that needs him. And at the same time, maybe it's a better fit for him also in that same regard. Yeah, uh this might not be the most popular opinion, but if the Tigers pull this off, uh, granted, a lot of credit goes to Jerry Reinsdorf, but you have to give a lot of credit too to Alavila. Um, I think for recognizing the need for a different, younger, more progressive style of manager. I think you look at the way Avila and the Tigers operated is um, obviously a more traditional organization. Um, the top highest ranking members of the front office. Um, you know, have scouting background, they're old school baseball guys. And as a result of that, the manager probably does have a little more autonomy. Um, Alavila, I think knew he needed to give that autonomy to someone who really sees the full picture to someone who really understands the modern game. Even when you look at, I know the Freddie Gonzalez and a few other names like that are out there, but most of the other candidates, the Tigers interviewed, Pretty young, pretty progressive baseball hires. I think um, Alavio and the Tigers had that in mind from the get-go. They were always hoping for A.J. Hinch. Um, There is a little bit of a connection there with Hinch knowing uh, uh, Scott Bream in the the Tigers' front office. But overall, I mean, I think it shows, you know, the need to move this needle that if you really want to accelerate this rebuild – uh, you have to change some things. You have to get a manager who can help, in, you know, just institute um, a more modern way of doing things. I think the Tigers recognize that need with AJ. Yeah, Hinch. for sure. And, you know, to, to their credit, you know, the last year or so, they finally have kind of started to take some of those steps. Like really from the from the minute Alavila got the job, we've kind of been begging him, you know, to start poaching talent from the more progressive organizations because it's just I mean, I've kind of made this smart-ass comment a few, on a few different podcasts, but, you know, it, it's harder to evolve the dinosaur than just to hire some mammals. And so, you know, what you kind of want to do is go around and, and collect some of the top talent from organizations that are doing things in a modern, progressive way and doing it successfully. And they hadn't really done that for a while, but then in the last year, you know, they went and got Kenny Graham from the, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers, who's the Tigers' director of player development. They brought in Dan Hubbs, who has a really, you know, good reputation as a college coach and a guy who's who's very good at getting the most out of young college pitchers, which he will hopefully translate to the Tigers. And so, yeah, I mean, this this kind of feels like, you know, the guy that the Tigers needed. I mean, they and they could have got someone who maybe is just as smart, just as versed in these things, but to get the combination of, of experience and also sort of the clout that comes with the, the name value, um, you know, for a team where the fan base is, 
you know, apathetic to trying to hang on, you know, to one degree or another. It's also kind of a signal that, you know, we are serious. Um, Al Avila has to know that, you know, he's not going to get another chance to hire a manager, presumably, if the Tigers don't start getting their act together and winning games uh, more consistently. So it kind of it kind of serves that purpose as well. I mean, I think it, you're right. It does kind of send a message that, you know, they're they're trying to to get the organization to that next that next level. And I mean, yeah, I don't really think you could could find a better better candidate than AJ Hinch. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real excited about this. I had pretty much braced myself, you know, that this was a bit of a pipe dream and that, you know, if if either Boston would would pick him or Cora up and maybe, you know, maybe the other would wait, you know, for a better job to come along. So yeah, the um, the idea that this is um, an imminent uh, possibility or or perhaps likelihood um, is is making me very happy right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's another thing I wrote. I mean, you want to be relevant, you know. Hire hire AJ Hinch. You know, it, you might put yourself at the center of some controversy. There might be a small degree of PR blowback. I think it'll be a headline for a day or two after Hinch is hired, and we'll talk about it again on opening day and. It might come up at a couple of points, but overall, that story, I think, will eventually fade away. Uh, but even throughout this offseason, that old, old English D is going to be plastered on some national newscasts. Um, you know, when, when was the last time the Tigers were this relevant? I don't know. Probably the day they traded Justin Verlander. Um, so it's good in that sense, too. If you want something interesting to happen in this organization – as a journalist who covers this organization, I definitely wanted something interesting to happen, and, uh, and and I think we all got it. I think it's uh, there's a good chance that it's going to be good for everybody. Yep, yep, I definitely agree. Um, you know, going back, you know, because we are going, you know, th- this is just a part of it is that we're going to end up, you know, having to probably write a few uncomfortable stories as well. Because yeah, I mean, this this is going to be a story, you know, for a little while. Just Hinch getting the job back. Um, I mean, I definitely think it's going to be much lower key than were he to suddenly take over the Chicago White Sox and look like, you know, he just came back from a year suspension and was just handed the keys to a Ferrari, um, you know, sight unseen that, you know, he's going to be right back in the postseason and stuff. So it's it's probably going to be lesser than that. But I mean, how, how do you feel about about A.J. Hinch and what went on? Um, I just kind of, I, I wrote this today too. I, I keep coming back to the image of him smashing two monitors um, to try to to try to prevent the um, sign stealing scheme and the team still going on, you know, you know, at least you know some faction of the team and some of the coaches and you know the guys in the video room, the front office guys, all continuing to you know kind of go on about their way. I mean, I think that it, that speaks a lot to the culture of the Astros, which was you know obviously pretty um, pretty filled with uh, hubris um, at certain points and you know ha- has obviously been their downfall, but. Um, you know, does that does do those things give you you know give you pause about AJ Hinch's you know ability to you know command respect or to you know lead a clubhouse or to you know to know what's going on and you know in his in his own uh, in his own clubhouse? Yeah, that, that's something I'm hoping to learn a little more about, or I'll at least be interested to see how AJ Hinch handles more probing questions, probably at his introductory news conference and probably in the days to come um, after that. I do like the image of him smashing monitors. I think is pretty telling that this guy was not complicit in the scandal to the same degree Alex Cora was. Was this guy really, you know, defiling the sanctity of the game in the way Alex Cora and perhaps other players were? It, it it sure doesn't seem like it. But I do think there's another side of that argument. 
Um, you know, if, if you read uh, the athletics story that Andy McCullough and some others did earlier this week, I mean, there are a lot of people in the industry of baseball who aren't thrilled to see A.J. Hinch walk right into another job, who do still wonder about his leadership. Is that an indication of his communication skills? Uh, if this guy really wanted to stop it, and if he went as far as to take a, a bat or whatever it was to a monitor, why didn't he actually stop it as the manager of the team? And also there's still kind of this certain perception of this Astros hubris or and, and arrogance that Hinge conveyed even in the last postseason when, when someone accused, uh, I think the Yankees accused the Astros of stealing uh, signs through whistling and Hinge in a postgame, he was very dismissive, um, kind of said that's ridiculous. Well, maybe that one was ridiculous, but we, we all know in 17 now that the Astros were stealing signs. So there's this a little bit of the perception of Hinge just being affiliated with that Astros organization. Even his background is kind of this, you know, I mean, the, the guy was raised in Oklahoma, but he is he went to Stanford. He is a little more polished guy. Um, is there a certain arrogance there? Did he almost try to frame himself as a victim in this Astros thing? I, he definitely didn't do the uh, do that to the extent Jeff Loon now has. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's come more likable. Uh, but I do think it's a complicated argument. At the end of the day, I don't think it should prevent Hinch from managing again. I think he served his suspension. And at the end of the day, I don't think it, uh, it you know, excludes Hinch from, from being able to have respect in this game, from being able to move on from it. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it's a legitimate discussion. Anyone who's upset about it, I, I do think it's hard to blame him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there, and there are just, you know, just these sort of sorted images, you know, like the trash can. Um, I would love it if, if fans in general out there understood that banging a trash can is not against the rules. You know, it's, it's literally just the stealing the signs with the video. Um, but the trash can, you know, has just become like this, this prevailing um, symbol of the whole scheme. So we're probably gonna have to put up with some of that. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that, you know, the, the first test for him is going to be, you know, managing, some of the blowback and and getting up there and you know finding a way to you know without th- throwing anyone else under the bus or you know trying to yeah trying to make himself you know look like the victim here finding some way in which he can kind of you know gracefully extricate himself from from those years and um and, and kind of put that behind him um and the best way to do that usually is by addressing things you know as bluntly and honestly as you can and then just being like, all right, you know, I've said all I have to say. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Um, you know, if, if he is hired shortly, I assume there'll be a press conference uh, to follow immediately. And um, it, yeah, we'll, we'll all be watching. Uh, we'll all be watching that very closely. Um, you know, one of the things I like about the idea of getting AJ Hinches is, is just, you know, the contacts he has around the game, um, you know, the, the coaching staff that he was able to build around himself in Houston, you know, whatever people want to say about, you know, the cheating and how much of an impact it had, you know, obviously Brent Strom did a brilliant job as a pitching coach. Um, even Justin Verlander went there and found, you know, the best success, you know, over a two or three year span of his career. Um, and I, I just think, that people need to think about it a little more broadly than just like the old school, like, Oh, this is the guy that you're going to put in the room. I mean, there's a lot that AJ Hinch is going to bring to the tigers that they need in terms of being able, you know, to hopefully access good personnel, um, steeped in modern concepts, but, but able to communicate it in a lot of different ways and work with players. Um, there's a lot more to, to being a manager, obviously, than making the calls on the field. Um, and, 
you know, less that's less and less a, a part of the manager's job at this point because so much of it is scripted. Um, do you think that's that's another attractive feature is just the fact that A.J. Hinch has been around, you know, a long time, has worked in a bunch of front offices and, and has shown himself able to, you know, to find guys who can really make an impact on his players? Yeah, I mean, I you're right. That's such an underlooked part of this. But but when you really step back, that, that might be the thing I'm most interested in is to see the staff he'll assemble around him. I mean, obviously, like Brent Strom is still in Houston and a lot of that staff is, but Hinch has some wide-ranging connections. I mean, I think the next pitching coach is just a vital hire in this organization. And I don't know who, but I think you you have to think that Hinch will be given a lot of autonomy to hire his guy, which will probably be a younger, uh, modern guy. Um, he overlapped with, with Chris Fetter at the University of Michigan in the Padres organization just a little bit. I mean, I don't know if that means anything, but you have to think that hire or someone of that ilk could, could be tremendous for the Tigers, maybe even more so than the manager. So again, that speaks to the fact that the Tigers went out and said, okay, wait, we need to hire a manager who can help us get there. Part of that is assembling a staff that will look different than the last one i mean i i really enjoyed being around uh rick anderson and joe vavra and a little bit i got to know them they were good guys i got the sense players liked them um and, and they had successful runs as coaches in the twins organization but were they really the guys you know to lead the tigers organization into this next era in 2020 i mean unfortunately they, they just kind of weren't the staff will be vital um yeah i mean just another reason hinge Makes so much sense. Uh, another point I want to circle back to, just how will he handle questions about the scandal, the media, all that. Another reason why Detroit's a good fit. If, if he gets <laughs> hired Boston or New York, this news conference is going to look a little different than it will in Detroit, where you're kind of juggling that story with, oh my God, well, the Tigers just hired A.J. Hinch. You know, it's this tremendous thing for the organization. Yeah. And, that's that, that really wasn't expecting a hire like this. There's there's going to be an element of star power to it, and then you address the scandal. I think rather than the scandal being that number one thing in the room. I mean, I think it, it, it Hinch should get a pretty good reception um, locally, and and even from the press, the number one story. It's it's kind of the scandal, but it's kind of how did this actually happen? How did the Tigers just hire agents? <laughs> so. Yeah, we might. Um, I mean, one of the things we had to laugh at today was those images of the, um, you know, the White Sox sending a press release out to season ticket holders that basically was talking about the 21 season and get, you know, get hyped, blah, blah, blah. And it actually had A.J. Hinch's signature still on it. And they had just kind of superimposed <laughs> Tony LaRusso's signature and a picture of Tony LaRusso over the thing. And it, and it was so uh, it was so blatant. But um, I'm sure you could, you'll, you'll see a more polished product um, with with A.J. Hinch as a centerpiece of the advertising campaign for the Tigers this offseason. You would you would hope so. Uh, hopefully no Lloyd McClendon signature on there. <laughs> oh man yeah you know tigers pr if you're listening you know make sure you guys get that right please because <laughs> we, we will not be we will not be able to avoid dragging you if you do not <laughs> oh lord you know it's not like i have like candidates necessarily in mind but you know i keep thinking of um you know like the don kelly connection you know don kelly was the bench coach in, um for pittsburgh this year you know it might be a nice move to uh bring don kelly over here as as the bench coach um just to sort of like the Somebody was jokingly referring to it as an ombudsman um, position, but you know Donnie Kelly being um, you know of squeaky clean reputation in Detroit and uh, fairly beloved might might be an interesting uh, 
choice in that regard. And I'm also curious, yeah, like, you know, to see if any of the coaches, you know, like say Josh Paul or or maybe even like a Vavra, probably not, but some of the guys who've been hired, you know, in the last year or two, um, you know, how many of those guys, you know, Hinch would actually be interested in retaining. So that, yeah, that whole storyline is going to be fascinating, I think. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot more to come. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the coaching staff will look like. It is interesting. I, I know the Tigers like Josh Paul a lot. I think they would probably like for him to return as the quality control coach, but we'll, we'll finish one his own guy. Um, and again, Vavra makes a lot of sins, but I, I another role for him in the organization. I don't know. And, and just like Ron Gardenhire and the others, he's, you know, he's in his sixties. Might he be ready to just retire and, and uh, spend time with the son or, or go do something else like that. I mean, who knows, but, um, several more storylines to unfold here in the coming weeks. So, um, again, this off season already way more interesting from a tiger standpoint than, than last off season and the off season before that. And, and <laughs> the one, yeah. the one season, so, so, you know, and we're not even to free agency yet. So, um, it's it's well and the nice thing about it is that you know to kind of pivot to the to the off-season topic in general we're probably a good long way from there really being like a free agent period i assume i mean you know just to kind of you know set the framework i mean we 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 saw how many options were declined today i mean cleveland let brad hand go granted it was a fairly expensive option but i mean i i think considering the loss of revenue this year and I think we all assume there's going to be, you know, fans next year, but we still don't know if it's going to be like a free for all, you know, full capacity kind of a thing. I mean, I think everyone's basically, you know, come to the conclusion that this is going to be the quietest off season most of us have ever seen until at least, you know, late January, you know, early February. And, you know, the Tigers have a lot of work to do this off season, um, of course, and getting their manager in, in place early and hopefully his coaches in early might give them an edge on on targeting some guys um, and, and trying to make some moves, you know, in a situation where a lot of players are probably going to be, you know, a little antsy to, to find a gig and, um, and, and, you know, maybe even sign a, a more inexpensive multi-year deal if they can, you know, if they can get themselves, you know, squared away for a couple of years. Um, so, so this all kind of plays a part, but I mean, I assume you're, you're feeling the same way about this off season. Like this, this might be the, the most exciting thing that happens and, you know, for a couple months, <laughs> but it is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's probably true, and and I don't know that the you know free agency will be exciting by any means, but it will, I, I don't know. I mean, from a Tigers standpoint, it might be just with all the guys getting um, getting waived or having options declined, guys who will be non tendered. There might be kind of a surplus of guys in the Tigers budget range. I mean, I think they'll spend a little more this off season, but they're not going to go after you know the big big time contracts. I think when you look at kind of plugging some of these holes, they, they might have some more options to choose from, um, which could be interesting for, for a team like the Tigers. I think you're right in that the action will be pushed back to probably January, maybe even February. I mean, we'll have to see how long it takes to figure out what the season's going to look like, what spring training will look like. Are we going to play 162 games? Will there be minor <laughs> leagues? Uh, it'll be tough for teams to make decisions until a lot of those questions get answered. Um, but to some degree, I wonder how much of this is kind of a smokescreen or a negotiating tool from teams and from owners. I mean, I know revenues have been impacted substantially, and that's real, but 
we also know that that teams will do pretty much anything they can to kind of devalue player contracts right now. Um, this gives them another reason to do that. Will will some of that front die off once it gets closer to you know to opening day or to the start of spring training, whatever it is? I think we'll still see maybe more action than than we're thinking. A lot of people earlier this year said the simple fact that that the Dodgers were able to get a deal done with Mookie Betts kind of showed that uh, maybe teams are going to be more aggressive than we think. Granted, that was before we were eight months into this pandemic and still, you know, things are only getting worse. Um, But that's kind of the beauty of it. There's so many unknowns, and that's why even if there's not, you know, uh, bidding wars and competitive signings and and all this action, uh, there's still going to be plenty to talk about because we just don't know what to expect. And and, um, that's kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the minor league season stuff is, is a great point. Like, we don't even know what kind of minor leagues we're going to have yet. Um, there is an awful lot to be decided. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't know, it's tricky. I mean, you can, you can look at it like like so many things in, in baseball. You can kind of look at it from a whole bunch of different perspectives. Um, you know, there, there might be teams that just decide they want to just wait until the very end and, and pick through, you know, whoever's left. Um, and then there might be teams who, who see the opportunity to make it, you know, make a player, you know, an offer commensurate with what they would normally, you know, expect, or maybe just a little bit less and, and kind of get the jump on people. Um, yeah, it's really, really kind of hard to know how that's going to play out or, or what the smart, you know, way to play that is. Um, I don't, I don't expect the Tigers to run out and sign George Springer, of course, just because we've got AJ Hinch here. Um, but yeah, you have to think that, you know, there's going to be a mix of players who are actually intrigued to play, you know, at least more than they normally would be to come to Detroit and play for AJ Hinch and the coaching staff he's assembled because, you know, there's, there's a proven track record of, of developing players, um, targeting guys that, you know, you can improve and, and making that happen. Um, and then on the same, you know, on the other side of the same coin, there might be some players who don't want to play for AJ Hinch. You know, there might, there may be some, some people who are resistant to that, um, I think the interview questions would just be fascinating um, to to know because that you know you've got to you've got to be able to ask him about all those things and like how are you going to deal with a with a player who doesn't you know who's who's got a big problem with you or how are you going to deal with the fact that you're probably going to get booed every time you're announced in Yankee Stadium or you know Dodger Stadium for the you know the next couple of years um, there's there's a lot of aspects to that. I, I was going to say here's a great hypothetical example and and it'll take me a while to get to it but I think. I could kind of see this offseason again playing well into the Tigers' hands simply because they don't have many payroll commitments other than Miguel Cabrera's contract. Okay, so so you're going in with a low payroll, not that much committed. Um, there's going to be theoretically a little less competition in the market. So does that make it easier for you to maybe go after a guy like um, Jock Peterson who could be a pretty good player? A, a guy that I, I thought would be a little bit of a reach for the Tigers in a normal year. Does that make him, even though he, he did struggle in 2020, does that make him more signable? And then you think, oh, would a former Dodger want to go play for AJ Hinch? You know? <laughs> yeah. Now that he's got his ring, maybe, maybe he cares less. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say. You know, there, there isn't really like the free agent class, you know, that, that's got like the, the supreme top talents at the top. But, you know, I mean, it is a pretty deep group when you look through it. I mean, there's guys like, you know, Yurikson Profar, Peterson, you know, Tommy Listella. There's some bats out there that, you know, are, are in the Tigers 
relative price range, um, you never know. Maybe even like someone like Marcelo Zuna, if they decided, you know, to, to make a commitment to him. I certainly don't expect that either. But um, but there is a lot of that sort of mid-range talent here where you could see the Tigers doing, you know, something similar to what they did this year with bringing in Crone and, you know, and, and obviously just kind of filling those holes with some veterans. But maybe, yeah, maybe they, they do kind of take a little little extra swipe at someone bigger than uh, than we expect not impossible i won't i won't predict it though (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's how big i think you have to temper expectations again no george springer no no jt romuto but uh you know is michael brantley more gettable is or or like you mentioned kind of a crop of guys get a tommy listella get a couple more bats right there in that range i think those are productive additions and I think the Tigers are in a good position to do it. And, and so if this front office wants to keep its run of kind of good um, good decisions and good press, I mean, I I think the opportunity will be there. It will ultimately be Chris Ilch's call and, and what this budget is going to look like. And that's kind of beyond my knowledge. But when you look at the simple fact that the Tigers aren't going to be paying a lot of people, I, th- I think they'll be in fine shape. I don't know that they'll be hindered too much by the strange nature of this offseason might even help them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Yeah, I mean, having Jordan Zimmerman off the books, you know, alone is is that, you know, that whatever it was, 23 million that you would that you would just hope that they would just reinvest that. Like if if they just kept the payroll roughly where it was last year, you know, you might still have 20, 25 million dollars, you know, to go allocate out there. The other interesting thing, too, is that, yeah, I mean, if you if you just target like one or two guys that you really like. You might be able to just kind of sit around here and pick up guys who teams just want to cut um, because they're trying to trim payroll and they've got a guy or two in arbitration. And that seems like a great you know place for the Tigers to look now that they've, you know, I mean, obviously the farm system isn't, you know, isn't, you know, ready to, to beat the world or anything. But not only is there sort of that top tier talent, but there there's a lot more like usable depth, like tradable depth, you know, say from number 10 to number 30 in the farm system. Um, and it might be time to start, you know, start using some of those guys that way. Um, there aren't too many successful, you know, clubs out there who don't trade their prospects. Um, you know, the best clubs are are pretty good about figuring out which couple guys are are key, and they're going to keep those. And for the most part, they turn the other guys into into real players rather than, you know, not to dog Kristen Stewart, but to kind of just let these guys come up, even though they're not, you know, they're they're not getting it done, and sort of just let themselves prove themselves, you know, to to not have any value for you. So it might be, yeah, it might be the off season to start thinking that way a little bit as well. That's a good point. Um, I another good point. I mean, if you want to build or bolster your bullpen, I mean, we're sitting here thinking, uh, are are we a hundred percent sure that the Tigers are going to tender Joe Jimenez if they don't see him being the closer? Uh, yeah, and I think they will. But other teams are having those same discussions, which I think tells you there are going to be some at least talented relief pitchers available on this market for really cheap. Um, could be a huge chance for the Tigers to make some low key additions that won't be big headlines. But but uh, you want to talk about just improving a bullpen? It it might be doable at a low cost. 
So again, a team like the Tigers that that is going to have some openings, have a little bit of money to play with. Um, I think it could happen. Um, yeah, and that's I, kind of the raise. You know, that's sort of the raise. You know, general strategy is that they're never going to have very many you know stars obviously they've got some starting pitchers who are stars now but but it's just putting together that that killer bullpen on the cheap every year um and you know they and they give themselves a chance every year just by doing that which has been one of the frustrations with this front office <laughs> you know the, the bullpen was really good for the first month of the season um this year you know you had guys like greg soto and jose cisnero you know throwing throwing the heck out of the ball um some of the you know the other guys were you know, Buck Farmer obviously didn't have a very good year, and neither did Joe Jimenez. But there were some other guys stepping up, Brian Garcia and others, and obviously having Daniel Norris down there. Um, you know, it, it kind of um, it, it lengthened the whole roster and and enabled them not to lean on the starting pitching, which turned out to be a, a good idea for most of the season. But yeah, that's sort of the way you do it, right? You um, you build up your bullpen, you start there, and then you know you, you kind of piece the rest together from there. Yeah, I think so. Are there any uh, are there any trades or trade candidates that that stick out to you? You know, I don't really have anybody like I haven't even like done a deep dive into anyone I would necessarily be looking to trade for. But but I have been thinking about like just arms, like like picking up like a Drew Smiley and maybe like Anthony Discalfini, um, who was on the Reds. You know, you get Smiley, who you know when he's on um, and healthy, is still an absolutely dominant pitcher who you know just cannot go out there and start and be like a, a five or six innings guy for you. But, um, but has a fairly, very similar style to, you know, to Tarek Skubal in, in a way, um, you know, th- th- someone like that, Anthony Discalfini, you know, has, has had his injury troubles, but is another, you know, good starter, you know, or at least solid back end starter who has a little bit of potential for more. All, all I really want is them to stop, go, you know, going after the Ivan Novas and the, you know, you know, I mean, to some degree, I suppose Tyson Ross had a little bit of upside, but not much. I mean, they're basically just trying to find innings. And um, it's, yeah, I mean, you've got A.J. Hinch hopefully coming. You've got a new coaching staff coming in. The idea should be to to find guys that actually have upside and start doing the thing that, that this rebuild has really lacked, which is that, you know, that ability to develop, to develop guys at the major league level who either become a part of your team or who you can flip for, you know, for prospects or, or other kinds of help. Um, I mean, I think a big theme this this whole next year has to be development, um, both in the farm system and in trying to get something out of guys like Matt Boyd and Jacoby Jones and, you know, trying to get Michael Fulmer on track to, to produce something for you. And um, and I think that's another another aspect where, where hiring Hinch is, is probably just a great idea all around because you're probably not going to find anyone who's who's going to have more success at, at hiring coaches who can help guys like that um, and turning some of those guys into value rather than just, you know, kind of ending up in some kind of Nick Castellanos situation where you kind of just take what's offered and you don't really get much out of it um, has been the downfall for, you know, of the whole rebuild, obviously starting with the, the Justin Verlander and JD Martinez trades um, and, and going on from there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's got to be a key theme. And then at, at the minor league level, you know, you need to see some guys, you know, take a step forward. You could, if you can get a Daz Cameron or an Isak Paredes to, um, you know, to, to swing the bat a little more effectively for you next year or, or the year after that, this whole thing starts to look a lot more viable in the years to come. Yeah, and another thing that the Hinch hiring um, would signal is that we're not messing around anymore. For Matt Boyd, for Joe Jimenez, Kristen Stewart, Jacoby Jones. I mean, can pretty much go down the whole roster. I mean, it's 2021 will be about 
you're either going to produce or you're not going to be around much longer. There's not this this extended runway um, anymore. It's it's coming to an end quickly. At least you would sure hope so. Um, yeah, um, so. and a lot of those guys, you know, which which just cru- you know, I, looking at the roster to start the season, you know, you looked out there, and all you saw was still you know a Dave Dombrowski team to um, to a pretty great extent. Um, and yeah, it's getting down to the to the wire where those guys either have to become tradable or they're just not going to you know have any part to play. Or yeah, maybe maybe someone does, you know, someone is worth latching onto for a three or four year contract and, um, and seeing if they can help you, you know, help lead you back to the promised land here a little bit. But, but yeah, I think um, looking at, you know, looking at teams that are, you know, low payroll teams, uh, maybe teams who spent a little more than they normally do this year. I think those are good places to start hunting for, um, for yeah, trade possibilities and, and potentially non-tender candidates who might, might become available to, you know, pretty soon, I would say. So, it's been an interesting day for sure. Um, I, before we go, I, I kind of wanted to just uh, wrap with you a little bit about instructional league. I mean, you, you know, obviously it seems like Spencer Torkelson and, and Riley Green impress everyone who sees them. I know you got a chance to um, to speak to Matt Manning right a little bit. Um, what what, uh, what what impressions did, did you kind of get from him about what this um, this weird season was like for those guys in Toledo? Yeah, it was such a strange zoom call with matt manning and then i kind of made the theme of my article like what do you what do you say about a guy who hasn't done anything in a few months and isn't going to do anything for a few months you know going different than just being injured this guy's a minor league player injured in the middle of a pandemic it's been a strange year for him uh um, you know, he, he said he's hundred percent healthy. And to me, that was, that was the biggest thing. He said he's already hundred percent, uh, which kind of confirms what we had heard from the Tigers front office. So I think that's really good news. You know, he kind of did the typical injured player thing where he said, you know, this has forced me to take a step back, focus on the mental aspect of the game or mechanics. And, and we hear that all the time, but a lot of the time it's true. And especially for, a young guy like Matt Manning, who is, you know, on the precipice of the majors and really just needs to fine tune some of those smaller things. I think that is good. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a ton of news out of it. Otherwise, he said he's still really focusing on just the three pitch mix, the fastball, curveball, change up. Um, you know, he's toyed around with kind of the slider, but he, you know, he said it's not a focus for him right now. Um, I'll be really interested to see him throw. Hopefully, um, yeah, and I still think he needs a slider or maybe a cutter, by the way. But uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's like Matt Manning doesn't go to me for his pitching advice. I can't imagine why not. <laughs> why not? You know. <laughs> yeah, I've made some suggestions to uh, Daniel Norris via Instagram, and um, he they were politely declined. <laughs> I can't blame them one bit. Yeah, uh, they must hear that stuff uh, constantly. But yeah, you know, um, yeah, Manning is one of those guys who you know it, it has reached that point. And I think you know, Scooble and and Mize were a little bit beyond this even before they they got their first major league experience. But you know, he's um, he's dominated you know basically by physicality um, as long as he's been locating his fastball through the minor leagues. You know, he hasn't really had to change things. Um, and this is really the first you know sort of adversity he's had since you know since maybe like his his first full season when he when they were changing his mechanics the first time. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really interesting. Um, an interesting thing to see him come out next spring and see what it looks like because yeah, you know, the, there just hasn't been that much progress with him. And and that's, you know, that's why I, I brought up Isak Paredes too. Like these are guys who, 
you know, obviously have a lot of gifts, um, but haven't really kind of made those final steps to start refining them um, and, and make that approach to the, the major leagues looking like they're going to be ready on day one. So um, that's obviously not AJ Hinch's you know, part of the job um, so much, but um, but it is kind of part of the whole movement, you know, in the in the organization to to figure out a way to do a better job developing these guys and, and maximizing them, you know, sooner rather than having to, you know, kind of endure these moments where guys get to the major leagues and then you hear like, well, you know, Willie Castro's defense, you know, was was always kind of a problem, you know, at the AAA level, and there's still some concerns about that. Like, you know, you and I know that kind of thing and hear that sort of thing, but um, but you know, for the average fan to see these guys kind of reach that level and then get the oh well, you know, now it's the time to really work on these guys' fundamentals, you know, is is kind of um, jaw clenching. Um, I know for a lot of fans who just don't understand why you know the Tigers can't kind of do what so many other teams seem to be doing and get them you know to that to that polished point a little sooner, um, rather than having to have them kind of come up and show their show their flaws before um, things start to really get seriously addressed. So, yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, going to be a uh, key season in that regard because there's a lot of guys like you, like you said who are closing in on the major league level or at least in the upper levels of the minors who who need a little bit of work and um I keep coming back to Isak Paredes because he's just looked like the same hitter um basically since the first time I saw him you know you know the first time we got him from the Cubs and I watched him in a Whitecaps game it was like wow this guy's got you know fantastic zone discipline like he he sees the ball out of the hand really well not terribly vulnerable to spin but, you know, the, the flaws in his swing that create a lot of, you know, sort of weak contact, um, a lot of pulled ground balls and just sort of slappy line drives, you know, that, that really hasn't been addressed in any kind of fundamental way, it doesn't seem like to me, for, for really three years now. And, um, you know, you saw that uh, that vision and that discipline was, was still intact um, and the defensive skills are pretty solid, but... Um, yeah, there's got to be some kind of a swing change or something like that that goes on there. And yeah, I just I look at the Tigers organization sometimes and just do not see who's going to make those make those changes happen for them or recognize them in advance. Yeah, I think I think Paredes is a great case study when I mean when you just watch him, the guy looks like a ball player. I thought even though he struggled at points this year, I never thought he looked overwhelmed or overmatched in the same way Daz Cameron did at times. Uh, but then you go back and you look at the numbers and okay, zero barrels the the entire year. Um, and you know, a, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, yeah, you talk about kind of pull happy, didn't handle spin that well. A lot of things that show you can turn this guy into a good player and a good organization would probably do it. Is it too late? Um, or do the Tigers have someone who can make that happen? Can A.J. Hinch help make that happen? Could a new hitting coach help make that happen? I, I will give a quick shout-out to Kenny Graham, the, the director of player development. I, I feel like he's going to be a good hire for the organization. I was able to get him on the phone a couple weeks ago and um, just thought he brought a little more insight to the table than a lot of the, the player development staff that you hear from in the Tigers organization. And you could also just sense a lot of passion. You could sense that this is a guy who cares. I I can't say for sure what he's like as a coach or a director of development. And part of the the unfortunate nature of that is, you know, this guy took over the job in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) The framework that he was hired to build, he couldn't really do because there were no minor leagues. There was, you know, you didn't have the majority of the players that he's going to be working with, which are guys in these, the low minors rising on up. We're stuck at home. Um, 
so I feel like for him and Dan Hubbs, this this whole first year, they accomplished some, but it's going to be almost like starting over next year. But I think Kenny Graham's going to be good for this organization, or or at least I hope he will be. I get the sense that that he was a good hire. Yeah, I mean, I really, I I really like the hire, and yeah, like you say, it is, it's, it's just you know, there's a million things to complain about this year, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it it is just frustrating that we didn't sort of get to see any of the um any of the fruits of those hires yet, but um, hopefully that'll be coming next year. Um, that's another you know kind of t- well, actually, let's let's talk Kenny Graham just a little bit, a little bit more. I mean. His reputation, as far as I've ever read with the Brewers, you know, and as a hitting coach was really good. And I, I guess the thing I like a lot about that is that the Brewers have kind of shown that aptitude for developing hitters over there. And then at the same time, you've also got kind of a younger guy who's the director of player development for the first time. Like this is the first time he was kind of running the show. Um, and you like that as far as like motivation goes, you know, like this is his, his time. This is his big chance to sort of make his mark and, and do those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, it's great to hear that, you know, that you got a good impression from him and that he seemed to, he seemed to speak in more detail. Like sometimes it's hard to tell with the player development folks that the Tigers have, because there isn't a natural tendency for people to just, you know, kind of talk in scout speak and not want to, not want to say anything that might seem disparaging of a player or to get into any detail really at all. So just the idea that he went a little further is good. The, the stuff you want to know, they're either going to not tell you or, yeah. or <laughs> because there is this fear of uh, disparaging a player or saying something that will upset the, you know, the, the higher ups in the front office. It's, it's, it's tough to get anything out of those interviews. And I don't know that we went in super uh, micro detail with Kenny Graham, but I just got the sense. I don't know. I was more. Uh, interested in what he was saying. I felt like it was a little more in depth. And I, th- I think that simply spoke to the fact that he's, he's a smart guy who was able to kind of break down some big picture concepts. Um, to me, that was a good sign. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he's in that first year where he's, he's doing it all, you know, for the first time. Um, so there's no chance of sort of falling into those patterns or, you know, just kind of giving the same old answers, you know, like he's actually involved in, in doing this job for the first time. And so, yeah, you know, a lot of times I think when, when people are learning something new, that's when you're the most, um, you're, you're maybe best able to talk about it because, you know, nothing's sort of calcified for you yet. You're still like, you know, willing to consider any angle and, cons- you know, and trying to, you know, put these paradigms together, you know, that work best, you know, for you in the way you see it. So. Yeah, I mean, just in general, just just to get that flat, fresh blood in there, um, you know, you, you never know if you've got the right guy or not, but but to at least be trying to to tap into a, a broader talent pool, pool than maybe they were in, you know, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen um, when it was kind of the same old, same old is um, is a good sign. I just wish it had come a little bit sooner. While we're on here, Brandon, there's a pretty interesting report that just came out from Evan Drellich on the Athletic. Um, says spring training in 2021 could basically be staggered where you would have major league and triple a players come in, uh, around a normal start date. Um, and the double a and lower level players won't come in until afterward until mid March. And basically lower level minor league seasons might not start that they might start later and then they might play a shorter schedule. Whereas there could be a normal, triple a schedule in um you know in teams home stadium so this is kind of an interesting idea the point is basically to um, have triple a up and running so that major league teams can have replacement players 
and then to kind of stagger the lower the lower level of the miners i guess maybe for safety reasons it's it's i i don't i don't totally know um but some interesting news the first thing we've really heard about what what all this might look like next year and i'm sure it can still change but uh it's a starting point yeah that that is interesting could be because you know it it seems like i mean MLB and and Rob Manfred have obviously taken a lot of you know rightful criticism in my view for sort of taking advantage of the pandemic to do a, to put a lot of changes into effect that weren't really affected necessarily so much by it but were things that they wanted to do already and I and one of those things definitely is that in the lower minors I think there are a lot of people who have come to believe that those guys play way too many games you know like the season just goes on you know whatever it is 130ish games when maybe more of that time would be better spent, you know, actually just working with coaches on specific, you know, skills uh, on mechanics. So that kind of does make sense. And, and they must be, um, they must be really brainstorming a lot of, you know, different possibilities. It was, you know, they they were caught so flat footed this year um, that it was just a mad scramble. And then you had all the negotiations with the, the, you know, with the MOBPA and all that. And it was, it was just very complicated and there was almost, it almost felt like they had no time for backup plans. Like whatever, you know, whatever was finally decided, they just had to sort of rush it into, uh, into being. So that is interesting. And it's interesting that they, you know, that they're starting to kind of announce these things because they've got to have all kinds of contingency plans. I mean, you know, maybe things aren't that bad, but by that point, maybe the vaccine has been out since, you know, the beginning of January and more of the vulnerable population has got it. Maybe cases are declining, but you just have no way of knowing, you know, maybe the vaccine's not even really available yet or doesn't work. And, um, you know, we're coming out of winter when things have been terrible. So yeah, they're, they're going to have to, uh, to get their ducks in, in a much better row than they were in this year. Um, I can't really blame anyone by being, you know, having been too flat footed this year, but it was kind of surprising because, you know, even in January and February, it was obvious this was coming. It wasn't obvious how bad it would get, but um, they really did seem like, you know, it, it just kind of caught them and swept them off their feet this spring. So, yeah, they've, they've got to do some serious planning, I'm sure. It's yeah. going to be interesting to see what the minor leagues look like, definitely. But um, but you know, the other thing I wanted to um, to get into was, you know, to kind of play off the idea that, you know, we just didn't get to see a lot of these guys this year. It does sound like there's been a couple guys who've sort of popped down there. Um, you know, we're we're getting pretty nice velocity readings from Wilco Hernandez. You know, talking about him, you know, touching 97 a lot more cons- consistently. Is there um is there buzz around a couple guys that you've heard of down there who you know maybe have shown up looking bigger and stronger than people thought or throwing harder, new pitch, any of that sort of thing? Uh, <clears throat> I'm actually going to go into back into pessimism mode for a little bit here. <laughs> I get the sins now that it's like, okay, Mize and Scooble are in the majors. You know, everyone knows Green and Torkelson are good. I feel like the Tigers are now getting into promoting depth in their farm system. And so that means pumping up Will Kel Hernandez and Jason Foley and Alex mm-hmm. Lang and Logan Shore and the guys who, I don't know, I'm sure they've made some improvements. I do, um, you know, reading a little further into um, Jason Foley, I mean, he has kind of transformed his whole article or his whole, uh, his whole arsenal, which I think is probably a good sign for, uh, the Tigers player development staff. But I also get the sense that some of these guys are maybe being pumped up, uh, a little unnecessarily, or maybe just because, I mean, it was instructs. They're really, you know, um, they're not a lot of high level players down there. It's a chance for guys like that, for Will Hernandez to stand out. But, just because you throw hard at instructs doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. So I'm not buying it 
I'm not putting much stock into any of these reports from Instructs. Part of that's also because I wasn't down there and I didn't see it with my own eyes. If, if Wilco, Wilco Hernandez is uh, throwing 97 and pumping the zone in spring training, you know, maybe I'll think differently. But for right now, I, I would kind of take all that with a little bit of a grain of salt. I think that's a very smart point. You know, I mean, beyond just that, I mean, a lot of these guys didn't, you know, play this summer or played in, in wildly, you know, varying degrees and circumstances. And so, yeah, who's, you know, who's up to speed and who is basically coming in, you know, almost cold um, can have a lot of effect on that too. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it is really hard to say. I'm just, uh, I'm really, I'm probably doing exactly what the Tigers want and I'm really looking for like, yeah, who's next. Um, you know, keeping an eye on like Jose de la Cruz, who seems like the most uh, promising of the international free agent hitters um, that they've spent big money on in, in recent years, um, has, has at least finally stateside and uh, mashing some taters down there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a just a matter of trying to stay excited about the about the future and hoping that, yeah, some of these guys can actually break out, because I, I think that that international free agent group is um is the key. I mean, maybe Robert Campos will be great. Um, he's still too young to have him up there yet, but they've spent a lot of money on Alvaro Gonzalez and Adinso Reyes and Jose de la Cruz. And if, if one of those guys isn't, uh, isn't getting it together and, uh, you know, kind of turning themselves into a real prospect next year. Yeah. They're, um, they probably have to be some heads rolling cause, uh, that's, that's where they've allocated a lot of their money and it's, um, you know, they haven't really gotten anything out of, out of that, uh, that pool of players, um, at least in terms of a starting caliber player since Willie Adamas, who, um, yeah, is gone. <laughs> Although he looked terrible in the World Series, so feel better, folks. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think Jay LaCruz is interesting. I will share this. In, in spring training, there was uh, I was standing around one, you know, one coach in the system who was kind of talking up uh, Jay LaCruz, saying he had seen him down in uh, at the academy and he had really looked looked good and he was a big kid and he, he could just hit and that coach kind of walked away and, and another coach came over and someone said oh de la cruz huh and the, the coach said oh he he hasn't been doing this for very long he doesn't know how hard it is to hit you know at the upper levels talking about what the other coach had said so uh, <laughs> yeah you know, I, mean, I, I think all he can say about him is that he's got uh, he's got raw power you know yeah. that, that, that's about all you can say about him right now but we'll see. You're right. I mean, at the same time, if the player development staff actually is better, if the organization is using um, analytics and player development better, in theory, these are the types of players that you're going to develop. They're going to be able to contribute um, at at least some level in the major leagues for you. So it's it's not crazy to be looking at these guys and, and paying attention to what they're doing. Because these are going to be some of the difference makers between, okay, did the Tigers end up being pretty good or did they end up being World Series contenders in a few years ago? It could kind of be these types of players who, who are the ones who really make that difference. Uh, so it's not crazy, but, but uh, don't get too excited just yet. Yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, there, there's that thing where you know, until you, you've kind of proven yourself that you can, you can develop some of these guys – you don't really know what to look for in, in a certain sense. Like they're, they're, you know, the Tigers, I'm sure have plenty of experienced scouts and you know, they, they understand the raw material that they're looking to have, but until you've, you know, kind of proven yourself, like, you know, we can take guys and, you know, we can, we're good at picking out guys who, if they switch to a four seamer would be better. Or if they, you know, made this kind of adjustment to their swing, you know, the Dodgers, you know, are a perfect example of a team that, that, 
not only is good at fixing people, but has a lot of specific things that they look for that they know how to fix. And then that, you know, in reverse informs the scouting and informs, you know, who their, you know, their international um, free agent scouts, you know, look for and all, all that sort of thing. So it has to become a two way street. And I think just that point alone does kind of illustrate how far the you know, away the Tigers are from really being any kind of a development uh, juggernaut <laughs> of, of any sort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's about it for you. I mean, it's uh, it's been it's been darn exciting, and um, hopefully we'll have this news, and um, I'm sure you'll you'll have a very busy uh, busy Friday if this is uh, if this is what's going on. Yeah, here we go. It'll be it'll be a busy few weeks, I'm sure, but uh, this is exciting. So let's let's do it. Yep, I really didn't think it was going to happen. So I'm uh, I'm feeling great, and uh, this is about the best news, um, and maybe the best Christmas Christmas present Tigers uh, fans could have asked for. So we shall see. All right, Cody Stavenhagen of the Athletic Detroit. Um, you should read all of his articles. You guys should all subscribe to the to the Athletic in general um, because you know we've just seen a lot of uh, great sports papers you know online kind of go out of business over the last four or five years, and the Athletic has has picked up all the slack and more. Um, I, I read Cody, I read Eno Saris, and just for the two of you alone, it's well worth the subscription. And then it just goes on and on from there with great coverage in all sports. So please. Support your local journalist and uh, and go get yourself an athletic subscription and follow Cody on Twitter. And you can follow me at Fiscadoro74 and uh, pick up all the, the goods from Bless You Boys. Cody, thanks a lot for joining me tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Thanks a bunch, Brandon. Enjoy.